production. Hello, A Life of Greatness listeners. I wanted to let you know about my private Facebook group called Live Your Life Greatly. It's a space for our community of like-minded people to give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. Search Live Your Life Greatly in Facebook groups. You can also join me on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg for daily inspiration, videos and behind-the-scenes footage. Search Sarah Grimberg on Instagram. Aubrey Marcus is the founder of Onnit, a lifestyle brand based on a holistic health philosophy he calls total human optimization. He is also a podcast host and wisdom teacher. Aubrey is wise and talks about the human experience we all inhabit, its heartbreak and its possibilities of both destroying and saving. Aubrey says it's not where you begin, it's where you end. In this intimate conversation, Aubrey and I discuss his journey with plant medicine, the power we all possess to create the change we need and desire, and the importance of embracing pain. We got to recognize this is heaven. And to recognize this is heaven, we got to live, we got to love each other, and we got to experience this magical, magical world. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Aubrey Marcus is a New York Times bestselling author of Own the Day, Own Your Life, where he says a single day is like your life. Each part is connected. Each choice you make influences the future choices you make. To realise true transformation, you have to focus not on changing one thing, but changing one day. This conversation is wisdom-filled, at times emotional, and overall a celebration of life in all its boundlessness. My hope is that Aubrey's words leave you thinking how you can be your best self in service to a better world. Aubrey Marcus, you are a super interesting guy and I would love to hear about your journey through life, but let's start with your upbringing. Can you tell me, did you grow up practicing a certain religion? I didn't actually, no. I think the... uh Really, the interesting thing about my childhood was that mostly my parents were curious, but agnostic. You know, I mean, they were interested in exploring different things. We kind of, on my dad's side, we celebrated Hanukkah. On my mom's side, we celebrated Christmas. But there was never any religiosity to anything, really. But they were always curious and asking questions. So they weren't determined in any way, which really gave me a lot of freedom to ask my own questions. And I think that was important. How was your upbringing? (laughs) I mean, in many ways, incredibly, incredibly blessed. I mean, if I had to create a summary statement of it, I mean, that's what it would be. Mm. Um, My parents split up when I was two, so they got divorced early. And, uh, you know, I know that was somewhat tumultuous and there was some fighting and stuff, but I don't really remember it. Um, and I had a really good relationship with my mom, my dad, uh, and then pretty quickly my stepdad and my stepmom. Um, 
you know, there were some issues with my dad. You know, he had some temper problems. He had some rage issues that, you know, were hard at certain points. But other than that, we had a great relationship till I was at least 30. And, you know, me and my stepdad, we had our conflicts as well, but we have a great relationship now. It's probably better now than it ever was, except for maybe when I was a little kid. Um, but, uh, and my mom, you know, pretty much loved me unconditionally my whole life. So that was really, uh, I feel really blessed. I feel that you're a very deep thinker and you question things in life. You don't just take what you hear as being what the truth is. Where do you think that came from? I think it came from my dad and my mom too. You know, I mean, my mom was, um, but my dad more than anything, a lot of my intellect came from my father. And, you know, he was a pioneer in the financial departments and, uh, and he was, you know, a commodities trader. He's been written about in certain books because he was really pioneering in the early days of futures trading. And also like, uh, you know, libertarian in his politics. And he was the one who, you know, got me on the plant medicine path at my very first vision quest when I was 18, taking psilocybin out in the mountains with a shaman. You know, he was very interested in just looking at the world from a lot of different angles. Um, my grandma too, you know, my grandma is actually, it's on this tattoo I have. Oh, wow. And, uh, and she was always reading me National Geographic and wondering about what happened to the dinosaurs and, um, you know, different complex questions about the earth and the cosmos. And, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it came from a lot of different, a lot of different sides. There wasn't a lot of dogma yeah. in my house. You know, it was like a lot of let's, let's test it. Let's talk about it. Let's see what we think. Can you tell us about the story of when your dad suggested that you go for a plant medicine experience when you're 18? Because that's obviously still quite young, but also not many people have their parents suggest something like that. And I find that super interesting. Well, he'd been on the path for a while. You know, he was, this was a tool that he'd used in ceremonial context for some years. So I hear, I heard the stories, you know, I heard the stories of his visions and his experiences. And I understood that these rituals were a part of many ancient cultures, which I had studied. And so I was definitely curious, but scared, like really mm. scared. And, you know, this was wisdom around that when, you know, that was when I was going to be leaving the house. 18 is, you know, I'm leaving, leaving high school, going off to college. And that was a point of transition. And traditionally, all of these points of transition would have an initiatory ritual. And we've lost that in our culture. But that's something that's very important. And I think my father had that intelligence of like, this is a good time for an initiatory ritual. And also, maybe he selfishly wanted me to heal from all of those times he yelled at me. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but ultimately, um, you know, he was guided with that intelligence. And, you know, he set me up with, uh, with the shaman that he knew. And um, it was, you know, the most profound experience in my life to date and shifted the trajectory of my whole life. What happened in that experience? Well, <clears throat> even though my parents were agnostic, by that point, I had become a pretty angry atheist. And the reason for that being that I'd encountered 
capital R religion in its Catholic and Christian varieties in particular, both when I moved from California to Texas when I was 14 um, and been in Texas since I was 14 ever since. But there was a lot of religion here that wasn't there that I didn't encounter in California. And I saw, especially going through high school, I saw people so guilty and racked with shame and about their own natural sexual expression. And it made no sense to me. I was like, this is wrong. Like we shouldn't be guilty for something that's as natural as any urge, as natural as the urge to eat. Of course, there's transgressive sexual behavior, but I'm not talking about that. They're just guilty for even their most innate natural sense of sexuality. So I was like, this is bullshit. And then we took a trip to Rome and Italy, and we visited a small town that had intact a dungeon of the inquisition so the inquisition of course when the catholics would go and torture and kill heretics and i put that in quotes just whoever they didn't like at the point and i saw that you know 75 percent of the torture devices involved people's genitals and i saw some of the most horrific things that i've ever could possibly imagine and i was like fuck this fuck religion like it's all a bunch of bullshit you know, and went just hardcore atheist, was reading Christopher Hitchens, you know, all of the different books, like trying to dismantle Christianity from a philosophical standpoint. So that's the context upon which I entered Mm. this psychedelic medicine journey. I take the psilocybin and actually I think there was a bit of MDMA with it too. (laughs) And, uh, and I, and I was, again, I was terrified. I, I remember I grabbed a rock and I was going to hold on to this rock. And I was like, as long as I hold on to this rock, I'll know I'm still here. You know? And uh, <clears throat> the medicine hits and I feel my entire body evaporate, just yeah. completely evaporate. And it didn't even seem like I was breathing. It felt like I was entirely in a different plane of existence. And so what was left was a part of me that my language at the time could only describe as a soul. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is my soul. I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like, this whole angry atheist thing needs a little revision. Like, I don't disagree with some of the premises why I was angry in the first place. But nonetheless, there's something to this God thing. There's something to this soul thing because I could feel it. And I experienced it. And I knew it was real. And so that got me on the question of like, all right, fair enough, discard, discard what you want from, you know, organized religion, but there's some true spirituality. There's something beyond mm. the pale, beyond the veil that I want to discover for myself. And that set me out on a quest that I'm still on today. What did it feel like? What did it feel like? <laughs> in a way it felt like absolute freedom. Mm. Like there's a certain sense of incarceration that comes from our incarnation. Mm. Like, like we are bound to our skin and this is beautiful. I get scratches on the arm or the head and it feels amazing. 
I put a strawberry in my mouth and it tastes incredible or drink a glass of red wine. Actually, that sounds really good right now. It's about 6 p.m. But those are the gifts of our flesh. But they're also what bind us to Mm -hmm. certain feelings and stresses and and things that trouble us in in many different ways and also open us to pain. Mm. You know, I mean, as much as there's pleasure, there's also pain. So in that space was just absolute liberation from all of that tumult, all of the different polarity of of sensation and experience. And um, so it felt like being free. Uh, There was some part that felt like home, like Mm -hmm. this is who I've always been and what I will always be. And so... Yeah, I guess that's the best way to describe it. How did your life change after that? (sighs) Well, I got really curious about this subject, right? I mean, this was way before people, this is pre-podcast. You know, I mean, we're talking, I'm 18, that's 23 years ago. We're talking 1999, Yeah. right? So like pre-podcast, yeah, there's a little bit of internet. You know, so I would go to Arrowhead and, and look up trip reports. And there was some books from Terrence McKenna and there were some lectures if you really went hunting for them. Not a lot of people knew anything about yeah. it. So I got real curious about it. And it's, I started to form my own beliefs. Some of my beliefs were, you know, a little bit far out because I'd get little pieces of information and then create stories around them. But the more times I dove into the into the waves of of information that these medicines can provide, the more I started to piece together my own kind of cohesive ontology of the cosmos and of the nature of the self. And each medicine seemed to unlock a different piece, whether it was ayahuasca or a boga or wachuma, um, something else would click into place. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you start on your journey and become interested in spirituality and finding out what is beyond the veil, not dissimilar to how I started, also young, kind of similar age to you. I think I was about actually 17 and I just became curious and there wasn't much out there. So being Jewish, but I wasn't religious at all. I thought I'm going to contact, we've got a huge Kabbalistic rabbi in our community. That's one of the best in the world. I thought I am going to contact him and I'll just talk to him. I had no one to talk to about this because they were like, yes, mm. pre-podcast where we can sit and chat with some of the wisest people in this space. Kind of then when you're young, it feels at that time many years ago that there was religion, but there wasn't so much on spirituality. And I remember sitting with him in his kitchen table and he would read texts to me. Mm-hmm. I would just listen and then we would have like a discussion about it and I found it so unbelievably fascinating and then I just, I would search for anyone that I could chat to about anything like this and I think it's like nowadays I feel that the young are, are a lot, they're a lot luckier than we were I suppose, maybe lucky is not the right word but at least there is this information out there that people are talking about this. We're discussing it. People have right. the ability to get into it a lot faster than what they did, I, th- I feel, than when we were young. And I think that's a really important thing. And you can really see 
especially now that there's a massive shift going on. I mean, wouldn't you agree compared to quite a few years ago? I feel like there is that divide and we'll always have polarity because that's life. That's the yin and the yang. But at the same time, there is this massive awakening that has been there but is is coming coming to the light a lot faster, I feel, than ever before. Undoubtedly. And also just in the nick of time. <laughs> like this is the 11th hour. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're facing a variety of different existential threats. So we better get our shit together here in a hurry. And, uh, and I have a lot of faith. I'm actually, despite open-eyed looking at all the challenges that we face, I still have a lot of confidence because I think there's a lot of unseen help Mm. that we that does not get accounted for in the algorithms you know all the algorithms that say we're done by 2050 or whatever all that bullshit how do you factor in those things that i've experienced on across the veil Mm. how do you factor that in how do you factor in that we are all a part of the earth and the earth is conscious and can actually reach us now there are limitations, of course. We are separate sovereign beings. And I'm not saying that something else is going to save the day, but there's some aspect of us that is coming online at the moment that we need it to. Mm. You know, some intelligence that's latent, built into our genetics, our spirits. And, and I really believe in that. So I'm confident, but it's going to require all of us still to make the best choices that we can. Yeah. And You know, there's a lot of things like we can look at all of the negative out in the world, but there's also just as much positive. I mean, I've seen so many different allies come together during this during this pandemic. I've seen, you know, meanwhile, underneath the surface, as everybody's watching Big Pharma play these games over here, still through pharma, psychedelic medicines are being legalized. Yeah. Right. Like quietly, it's in the same thing. Everybody's focused on the negative, like quietly. MDMA is about to be legal. Yeah. And that's going to change the fucking world. You know, so there's lots of stuff that's going on that I don't think we're actually aware of how big a deal it's going to be. I'd love to know your opinion on when we have things like COVID or when Russia invades Ukraine, I mean, I could sit here and talk about a million different things that have happened in the world that have been negative. But I I would love to know from your philosophical and spiritual opinion, why you believe, especially the ones that are more recent, when the world is as evolved, you would hope, as we are, how we can see these things still happen. You look at World War II and you think that was horrendous and all the other kind of things that go on many years ago and you think we've learned from that. But then when you still see these things take place, why do you feel that they they still come onto this plane and we're still tested by them? It's a complex question. I think one area that I've become really aware of that I think is a challenge, and, and I'll try to talk about a couple, Um, one area is that there's an unacknowledged drive to power that we all have. And it's easy for us to like 
point at other people and and see that but it's it's for most of us there's this unacknowledged drive to power and it's really actually running the show but we think we're running the show and power means a lot of things you know power means safety security it means oftentimes breeding advantage you know from just a purely biological standpoint i know obviously reducing the beauty of sex and relationship to breeding advantage is, is highly reductionist but from a biological perspective like that's one thing that power power can bring um but it also mimics an attribute of the divine and since you know you mentioned and invoked kabbalist lineage i study with the kabbalist teacher as well and the understanding of Elohim mm. is actually the power of the cosmos, of the power of God expressed through the cosmos, right? Like the the nature, the essence, the flavor of Elohim is is power. You know, omnipotent, mm. all powerful, right? Like there's a, there's a part of us that 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 we have that that wants to go back to God. And that's part of that is all powerful. Now, there's also so that's the good part of power that we all have, but also we have our separate self, which is the part that thinks it's disconnected from everything, disconnected from the divine, disconnected from each other. And the separate self also has a drive to power. And that's our separate self. And that's where power gets really toxic. And that's like the shadow expression of power is when the separate self is saying, I want to be better than, I don't just want to be powerful. I want to be better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. I want to be more powerful than it's in comparison rather than in connection. So I think one of the things we're seeing in, in a lot of this polarity and a lot of the conflict, the way it's always been is this, these are all just manifestations of the drive for power, but because we don't know that we are who we really are and we don't know our divine self, our connected self, the self that knows itself in connection to all other beings in connection to God, we've lost that because religion also has cleaved that and made us entirely separate from God and made certain institutions the only doorway to get there, except you never actually get there. You just get into the doorway of the institution right? Like this is what's happened to our spiritual path. So we don't know ourselves as part of the divine. So our drive for power shifts entirely over to the separate self, right? It just finds a way to express. And that comes in money and territory and control and all of these other things. So I think one of the meta crises we experience is that all of the power, which should actually be for our spiritual self, our connected self, has been shifted over to our separate self. And that's a, that's a big part of the problem that we're seeing. And so I think we have to reawaken our understanding of our true power mm. and our true power. And the most powerful force we have, of course, is love. Mm. But that is not something that the separate self can experience because the separate self, by definition, you know, you call it the ego, but the ego means a lot of different things. But the one that knows itself in separation is not the one that loves. Right. It, it can't by nature because to love is to actually be in love. Yeah. It's, to, it's emerging with another, it's emerging with another being. So our true self is the one that loves. So the separate self doesn't understand the nature of power, doesn't understand the nature of love. And so I think this is why we're in this crisis. It's really, um, 
our inability to access true love and true power, and then finding our outlets in these shadow expressions of shadow power and shadow sexuality. Mm. I find that very interesting. You mentioned the disconnection. So when you disconnect A from love and disconnect B from the divine God, whatever you want to call it, source. And I wonder for yourself, how in the past, or I'm sure still now, do you connect back with that source when you feel disconnected? So you want to you wanna go talk to God? All right. Look in the mirror and start talking. You know, like, yeah, it's not the entirety of God, but you are a part of the ocean of God. Right. So really it's, it's about not connecting to something outside of us. It's connecting to that part that's inside of us. So how do you connect to that part inside of you? Well, quiet the mind, quiet the mind, get out of the mind and into the heart, like find a way to get back into your heart. And there could be many, many ways to do that. It could be through in nature meditation or breath work or ecstatic dance or ritual or sexuality or ceremony or laughing with your friends or there's so many different ways to actually connect back with the divinity that we we have and and oftentimes i think we fall into the trap of creating hierarchies like smoking a cigar with your friends is like is not spiritual but like going and going and sitting on a cushion in an ashram is spiritual yeah. even if like totally not even paying attention in the mm. ashram. But when you're with your friends, you're like right there living life and the tobacco is filling your mouth and you're laughing and you're living like spirituality is about breathing in respirator spiritus. It's like breathing in the life that's all around us. That's what spirituality is for me. It's like, are we really living? Are you really living? Mm. You know, like, are we really alive? And, and that's, that's my definition of what spirituality is. And you can find that in so many different places. You can find that anywhere and everywhere you look. But it's, I think it's important to collapse these hierarchies of this is spiritual and this is a spiritual place and this isn't and this isn't. This is how much life and love and life force and eros, as my teacher says, is in these different places. Have you ever had any challenging moments, and I'd love you to tell us about one if you have, that... Nope, never had a challenging moment. (laughs) That have made you question your connection. You know, it's, it's, um, it's not the challenging moments that make me question my connection. Actually the more difficult the challenge, the more connected I become. Mm. It's really kind of opposite of what you might think. It's, it's in the banal moments. It's in the, it's in the moments where I've been on, you know, on my phone four hours out of the day, working out something and working and doing this. And all of a sudden I've gone through an entire day and I haven't, taken one single conscious breath. I've just been working and dealing with stuff and, you know, looking at things people are saying online and and just completely disconnected from 
my essence. Like that, those are the points that are really troubling. That's where I feel disconnected. Yeah. But when something really bad happens, like I got in a, I got in a really random car accident a couple of years ago, middle of the day, just some reason I just passed out, went unconscious in my car and accelerated into a guardrail. It sliced open my face and, you know, another, if the steel had cut another couple inches, I would be dead face was mangled. I woke up <clears throat> in the hospital and at that moment, I just had this overwhelming feeling that, oh, this happened for me, not to me. I just don't know why yet. Like I, this happened for me. I just don't know why yet. So that was like one of those hard moments where I could have been like, why? Like, why God, I was just driving to go to a podcast. Like why? But there was this faith that came through. There was this connection. There was this like, I, I felt supported. And in the hardest times, I've always felt supported. And in the times where I think I have have it covered and I'm just in my waking daily life, those are the challenging times for me. Did you find out the reason years later why you think you're in the car accident? Yeah, I think... Um, so that was a period of my life where I was polyamorous and um, that's a very, very difficult path. It's a very honest path. And that's why I chose it um, because I just can't, I can't stomach dishonesty. It doesn't work for me in any way. And also I wanted to experience life, but it was a brutal path. It was very, very difficult. Because everything is out in the open. Everything is discussed. I'm talking about everything. So I had three lovers at the time. And pretty much at that point, they kind of all, they kind of all were mad at me. And this was kind of the way it was. Like everybody was mad at everybody a little bit all the time. And I'm always trying to like... Yeah make everybody feel like loved and special. And it's, it's, it's very, it's like, it's intense. It's intense to try and figure that out. And I was really pushing out a lot of energy, like trying to make this take care of everybody and make sure that everybody felt good and felt like they got my attention and they got my love. And, and like, and I think I was pushing out so much energy, what I desperately really wanted is I just wanted to be loved mm. and I wanted everybody to get along and I wanted to pe I wanted people to take care of me. And of course, when I got in the accident, you know, there, all of those things happened. All of, you know, and, and all of my you know, girlfriends, they all knew each other. They were all friends and they were just, it was just, there was just a lot of conflict energy, but in my accident, like everybody came together. Yeah. There was nothing but love. They were there for me. You know, they were just there to love me and to take care of me and to like nurse me back to health. And it's like, <laughs> it's the craziest way to, to go about getting, <laughs> getting something like, you know, feeling this feeling of being cared for and loved uh, and finding peace. But I think that's really why I manifested that, that accident. I mean, obviously didn't do it on purpose, but yeah. I think I, you know, I just passed out. And I think it was so that I could feel like, wait, am I really loved? Like, do they really love me? And, and can they take care of me? 
and they did. And I wonder, Aubrey Marcus, if you had your time again, would you change anything? No. You never would? Never. No, you learn so much. Yeah. You know, you learn, you learn so much. You know, the only thing, the only thing I would ever change is to do everything exactly as I did it, just enjoy it more. Yeah. Just stress about things less. Just yeah. be more present. So true. I would walk the same walk and make the same, do all the same things. Just, I would just be there for it all. Yeah. Really be there for it all. I totally agree. You're obviously married now. So mm-hmm. what took you off that path? Well, one, my wife, I mean, she's incredible. I'm so in love with her. And um, that was a big factor. So I don't want to overlook that. But also that, you know, I I gave polyamory my best. I really gave it my best. And it it was, it bested me. You know, <laughs> it bested me. It was too much for me. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and, and like, I had to give it a deep, a deep bow and say like, you know what? I gave you, I gave you everything for eight years and I tried my hardest and I was never up to it. I was never up to the task. And, and that's, but I know that now, you know, so there's like, there's like a piece, there's a piece with knowing like, all right, you know, I, I did the best I could and it was still, it was still too much for me, but I'm glad that I did. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't know, I, I just have, uh, I think also another thing that, that makes my relationship with Vailana work is we've really discovered the technologies of intimacy, mm. like through tantric practices and through, you know, different sexual practices and relational practices, you know, intimacy of even conversation that, we're always finding the novelty that polyamory created on the outside, on the inside. So instead of novelty in a new person, we create novelty at a new level of depth Mm. of the same person. And and I think that's also really important. And so that allows me to have that sense of passion and awe and, and, you know, all of the feelings that I used to feel in polyamory, I get to feel that in my monogamous container with my wife. Do you reckon you'll have kids? Yeah, we want to go. We met at Burning Man in 2016, and we want to go to two more Burning Mans before (laughs) we have kids. Because we haven't gotten to go to any as a couple, so. Aubrey, you have an unbelievable business with Honours. But I know that you tried a few businesses before that that didn't work out so well. What I want to know, though, is a lot of people try businesses and they fail and they find it hard to get back on their feet again and do something else. What gave you the ability to fail and keep on going rather than just kind of stop and go and do some some job that would be easier? I I always knew from when I was... And this is a double-edged sword, but I, I knew that I was here to do something important. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm here to do something important. I knew that from when I was young. And so that when I was 29 and everything I tried that I thought would be important failed, I was like, 
maybe I fucked up. Maybe I should have gone left when I could have gone right. And I was, you know, drinking a lot and partying a lot and like trying to figure it out. But I still, I still was, I was going to keep trying. It's just kind of like part of my warrior spirit. Like I was going to keep trying, but I, I had lost a lot of faith. I thought like, maybe it's just never going to happen for me. Um, but I was going to keep trying anyways. And I guess that's just a part of my nature is, uh, is to just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And, um, yeah, with on it really found something that was the right, the right thing, a true thing, you know, a real expression of what I loved the most and what I could offer the world. I think a lot of the other ideas I had was me being clever and trying to think about like, oh, let me be clever and think about what the market might want mm. or what other people might want. And then I finally just made a company that made all of the shit that I wanted the most. And that's the one that worked. Can you tell us a bit about on it? Total human optimization. That's what on it's about. And that involves supplementation, fitness, food, attitude, lifestyle. You know, there's a whole bunch of different things that fall in that category, but we really are known most for, we have a cognitive enhancing supplement called Alpha Brain, um, and then a bunch of different other supplements and proteins, et cetera. And then our fitness line is also really revolutionary in that we kind of created some of the strongest um, education around unconventional tools like kettlebells, steel clubs, steel maces, battle ropes, you know, these different things that you see now in a lot of gyms all around the world. Um, we were really kind of on the forefront of bringing those kettlebells had a little momentum already, but with these other tools, we were really early in developing them. And uh, yeah, it's, it was a, it was a hell of a ride. I mean, started in 2010. You do you still do that with Joe Rogan on it. We sold the company. We sold the company in 2021. Yeah. So we, um, we were both, you know, I was the founder and pretty quickly thereafter, he was a partner and we, you know, built the thing into what it was and now it's sold, but we still love it. I mean, we, we made it. These are all yeah. the things that we love the most. So we made it together and, and we'll always share that, um, even though officially, you know, we're no longer partners. How did you find all of the backlash that Joe got being one of his friends? How did, how did you view that? Well, which category of backlash? I suppose the fact that they wanted to take him off Spotify, people felt that he wasn't, he had people on that weren't saying things that were true, that kind of stuff. I know there were a few different things, but let's just talk about that. <clears throat> the funny thing is, is that Joe always just is curious, Yeah, brings people on that he wants to talk to and he asks them questions and he tries to figure stuff out. Yeah. Cause that would be not like, dissimilar to you and I, I would assume on our podcast. Right. <laughs> right. This is like, this is what a podcast is for. It's a person who has questions and an opinion and they want to figure shit out. And they want to ask questions 
And Joe, like people think that Joe has like a big business team and he's got like, he's picking his guests and you gotta, no, it's Joe. Like it's Joe and it's Jamie. Like he has the smallest team of any megalithic character I've ever seen in my whole life. Like he's literally just having the conversations with the people he wants to have conversations with. And, and that's what people don't understand is it's like, Joe's having conversations with people he wants to have conversations with and people are gravitating towards that. Why? Well, because he's not captured. He's not bought, right? Yeah, sure. He has ads, you know? Yeah, he has ads, but Joe has integrity and also honesty. And he's just going to talk about what he wants to talk about. And so people like that, you know, people like listening to someone who doesn't have an agenda, Mm. And I think that's what, that's why he became so wildly popular. And then of course, why so many people attacked him who were from the other paradigm in which brought to you by Pfizer, you know, get your third booster. Like this whole, this whole system is captured. And this is something I talked to Brett Weinstein about on, on my podcast is like, this is a big problem. This is a big problem. How much all of these agencies and advertisers and lobbyists and politicians are all kind of woven together. And, um, and that system is going to attack like that system has an immune system and it's going to attack the other system, which is just having conversations, Mm. talking about shit. And, And I think that's the, you know, there's real power in that. And that's, uh, that's, that's scary to the system because one episode of Joe Rogan experience gets a lot more views than all of the major news channels combined. Yeah. He has a massive audience. Mm-hmm. And well-deserved. Yeah. He's, he's the GOAT. You spent time in complete darkness and I find that very interesting. And it's obviously a challenge that you wanted to give yourself can you tell us a bit about that and why you chose to do that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I spent six days in absolute darkness, absolute silence, absolute isolation. Um, that was a really pivotal point. That was January 29, January 2019, 2020, January 2020. And, um, it was kind of towards the tail end of my whole polyamory journey. And there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of healing there. There was a lot of challenges that had come up in the business arc through on it. There was a lot of things that I was still holding on to, And I was sad i was sad you know and I, and I and i felt a little bit like even though i have had a great experience with all the great plant medicines i didn't feel like that was the answer I felt like i needed something different i needed to just figure out what was going on in my own mind my mind was like haunting me with different thoughts and memories and just it was hard to escape the some of the things um 
in thought cycles that I was experiencing. So when the darkness came into my awareness, I was like, all right, well, if my mind is the source of the challenges that I'm facing, well, why don't I go face the mind head on? Mm. And where do you go to face the mind head on? Well, go to the place where there's nothing else but you and your mind, you know, and just, and that's the darkness. It's just you and your mind. And, and that's what's funny about the people who are scared about it. It's like, if you're scared of the darkness in this situation, not like darkness in the woods where a wolf can eat you, like yeah. I'm in a room that's dark, then you're scared of your mind. And if you're scared of your mind and you're living with a monster in your house, mm. you know, it's like, then you better go face it. You better go, better, better go. And I wasn't scared of my mind, but I also was getting tortured by my mind in certain ways. So I went into the darkness to confront that aspect of myself head on. And it was a very, very powerful experience. Uh, if anybody wants to see that powerful experience, I have a documentary out mm. on uh, AubreyMarcus.com called Awaken the Darkness. And so what happened? Hmm. A lot of things happened. Um, one of the interesting things that happens is around day four, three and a half, three, um, you start having visions like an endogenous DMT release happened. So I was having visions. I had a lot of powerful visions. Um, but overall, if I'm going to sum up the meta arc, and again, like I said, there's a great documentary that actually you'll follow mm. me through my journey in the darkness. I brought a tape recorder in there with me. But it started off and I wanted to, I thought about changing everything externally to fix all of the problems that I had internally. So by day two, I was like, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change every relationship. I'm going to move. I'm going to move towns. I'm going to change careers. I'm going to like everything external was going to change. And then by day three, I was like, this is all bullshit. Like, I love my life. I have the best life. I don't need to change anything externally. I need to change things internally. And that started the deeper process of healing healing with my partner at the time, Whitney, healing with many different aspects of myself and relationships that needed healing. And, um, and also a willingness to really recognize that there was some part of me that was unwilling to let myself love my life because I was afraid that if I loved it too much and then I lost my life, that it would hurt too bad. So I was keeping myself safe. And, and overwhelmingly, the darkness taught me that, you know, that aspect of us that wants to prevent us from the disappointment mm -hmm. of going from high to low is one of the biggest villains mm -hmm. in our own story. So interesting you say that because, you know, it reminds me of when I grew up and, and I think sometimes, I mean, not everyone's parents, but I know, for example, my parents would say, if you think the worst, then if the worst happens, you won't be upset. Or that whole idea of thinking bad's going to happen. If it happens, then you don't fall as hard. And it's such a funny way of thinking about life. 
And it reminds me, there's this beautiful Rumi quote, which is, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? And I wonder for yourself in life, even now, how you move past those thoughts. Breath by breath, day by day. There, there, there's not a one time, one solution fixes everything thing. It's like before enlightenment, chop wood and draw water. After enlightenment, chop wood and draw water. It's, it's mm. the same. You know, it's like, it's the process where uh, you're not, we're not a computer where you get a download and all of a sudden you have a new operating system. Like we like to think of ourselves like a machine, but we're an ecosystem and the ecosystem needs constant maintenance. And we are the maintenance, you know, and nature is the maintenance if we're willing to open ourselves to it. But um, yeah, it's about constant micro choices to just reconnect, remember, and, uh, and live the life that I, that I know I want to live. So now you don't have on it, you've sold on it, and obviously you have the podcast, but what, what's next? What is next? I don't know. I'm listening. You know, I have some beautiful things that I'm doing. There's a coaching platform called Fit for Service, which I really deeply love. Um, we're throwing a festival this summer. We're doing some really cool things. So anybody curious about that, it's fitforservice.com. Um, but that's, I wouldn't say that's what's next. It's what's now. And, and I love it and I'm going to keep doing it, but I wouldn't sum up the entirety of what I do in that. I'm really listening. Like, what does the world, what does the world want from me? You know, the world's given me so much, you know, I, I, it's not about at this point in my life, it's not about like, what more can I get from the world? It's like, what more can I give to the world? Like, what does the world need? She's been so generous with me. So, so generous. So I'm just listening, just listening and saying like, okay, all right, mama, like, what do you need? What do you need? I'm here for you. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? It's partly from Hafiz, the Sufi poet, and I know you invoked Rumi. Um, partly from, you know, some other things that I've heard and partly from like a really clear transmission I got in a medicine ceremony. And it was this idea that wherever you are right now, right now, this, this moment, your very best life, the very best life you could possibly have is available to you. And it's a crazy thought. And it doesn't make sense because we think like, oh, if I would have done this and done this and done this, but at every single moment and this moment right now, each one of us has our very best life that's possible for us mm. because it's so important to really feel that and believe that. And if you can believe that, then you can create that reality. Yeah. I believe that it's objectively true, but it is a paradox, and I understand that. 
But nonetheless, like if you can adopt that and believe that, then you can let go of all of the, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have, uh, what if I would have, no, now, how about now? Your best life right now is available for you right now. Fuck all the past. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Let all those stories like wash away. Now, you, now. What do you want to do? Mm. What do you want to do? What's the lesson that is taking you the longest to learn? To have faith. Mm. To have faith. Yeah, I always always think that uh, everything's going to get all fucked up. <laughs> and to have faith that despite the fact that I've always figured it out, yeah. And the universe has always had my back in some strange way. Still, I know I struggle with faith. Mm-hmm. Can I have can I have faith? That's a that's an ongoing lesson. Yeah. What is your favorite prayer? Well, I get some of these from uh Paul Selig, who I've yeah. done quite a few podcasts with. He's been on um, this podcast. Great. So one of his classic ones that I feel coming through me now is, I am here, I am here, I am here. Yeah, that's a good one. He's mm-hmm. he's amazing. What is the most mystical experience that you have ever had? The most mystical experience is to experience yourself as the mystical. Mm. That's like, it's not about what you see in a vision or an, I talk to God or I talk to this. No, no. What's it like when you're on the inside? Mm. What's it like? And the most mystical experiences I've had are when I'm on the inside of Aubrey in his divine expression. Yeah. Like that's the most mystical experience. It's where I am not separate and other than the divine. I am my own unique self in my own unique face of the divine. That's, that's really mystical. That's beautiful. What's your greatest hope for society today? I just want people to live. Just live. The irony of the fact that we're creating a metaverse right now, you know, a digital metaverse, mm. we're already in a fucking metaverse. And the metaverse is that our mind has placed us five steps behind life, where we're looking at life, but we're not living life. We're not here in the moment, feeling, tasting, fucking, smelling, living, you know, like all of the things, like we're, we're like removed from it. And, you know, I, I, just, I just want people to really feel what it feels like to live. That's why we're here. And if we really feel how amazing life is, then we'll want to protect this world that gives us life. We will. But if, but if this world is a hell because we're five steps removed from it and we're always at war with it, at war with a virus or at war with a bacteria or at war with a climate or at war with uh, each other or at war with this whatever we're in this constant war mentality then it's hell war is hell mm. war is hell anybody who's been to war war is hell 
Well, if we're always at war with everything, then we're always going to be in hell. So if this world is hell, why not fucking burn it? Why not burn it? If it's hell, burn it. So until we get people out of hell, which means getting them out of war consciousness, then we don't have a chance. Mm. So it's like, we got to get, we got to recognize this is heaven. And to recognize this is heaven, we got to live, we got to love each other, and we got to experience this magical, magical world. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness, if, <laughs> if you can end your life and look back and say, man, I made some mistakes, but you know what? I lived, I loved, I cried, I, like, I fought for what I believed in, I blundered, I failed, I succeeded, I wrote poetry on a napkin, I made love in a bathroom, I, I did it all. You know, I climbed a mountain, I swam under a waterfall, I ate some weird shit in the streets of Hong Kong, whatever, like live, like live your life. That's a life of greatness. You know, like all of this other stuff, your followers and your bank account, who cares? Did you live? But did you live though? You know, because at the end, at the end, at the end, there is no end, but at the next terminal stopping point, like that's all we're going to care about. Like, yeah. did we live and did we help others live? You know, because we are not separate from the others. So did we live individually and collectively in the recognition that we are inseparable from our collective expression? Aubrey Marcus, thank you for living a life of service and sharing your wisdom today. It's greatly appreciated. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.